the guys up in the sound booth. As we said last week, and uh, as we've been going through this uh, series, this is week number three in Do You See What I See? <clears throat> and the way each of the gospel writers writes about the coming of Jesus uh, is, is, is informed by, is, is uh, you know, comes from their view of who Jesus is, right? And, and we've said over the last few weeks that the four Gospels are kind of like four different perspectives from four different angles on the same event, the Christ event, Jesus coming from heaven to earth, um, being born as a baby, living as a man among us, and, uh, and dying on the cross in our place, rising again from the dead. That event was viewed from four different perspectives. And as we've said, uh, Matthew's key perspective is that Jesus was the king of the Jews who came to be king of all, right? That, and and Mark, Mark's perspective was that Jesus came as servant. He came to serve all. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Luke. Luke. Luke's perspective is that Jesus is, was the son of man. Focuses on the humanity of Jesus, not to the exclusion of his divinity, but he focuses on the, the, the gritty, messy humanity of Jesus. And, and John focuses, we're going to talk about next uh, Saturday at uh, our Christmas Eve service, um, John focuses on the divinity of Christ and how he is the Son of God. And so uh, <clears throat> Matthew, you know, as, as he told his story, um, Matthew focuses in to, to highlight that Jesus was a king. He, uh, he talks about the genealogy, right, that, that, uh, that, that goes through the, 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 the kings of Israel. And uh, Mark, who sees Jesus as the servant, he doesn't even tell a story of Jesus' birth, right? A servant, you don't, you don't care where a servant came from, you just care what they do. And, uh, and so Luke, as we come to Luke's gospel and his story of the coming of Jesus, he has the most drawn out and detailed description of Jesus' birth and beginnings. Luke, as we said, sees Jesus as the Son of Man, and we're going to come back to what that means in a bit. But for the moment, let's, let's, uh, let's just highlight the fact that, that Luke really focuses in on Jesus' humanity and, and the fact that that there's this tension in Jesus, who he is and what he does. There's this tension between the ordinariness and the extraordinariness of who Jesus is, right? Luke, we see this continually in Luke. He wants to underline the ordinariness of Jesus, that, that he, was, he was a man just like, he was a human just like us. But he was something so much more, right? The ordinariness and the extraordinariness of Jesus. This tension that we find in Luke. Luke, is a, he's a Greek convert to Christianity. 
Um, and uh, he's, he's a physician by trade. We find uh, in one of his Gospels, uh, Paul tells us that Luke is a physician. He's a doctor, medical doctor. Um, and, and we know that Luke is Greek. He's Greek-born. He's not Jewish. He's Greek-born. One of the ways that we know this, besides his name and some of the details that we see about his life, is that, that Luke's Greek, when he writes his gospel, and when he writes his, his, um, his sequel, the book of Acts, Luke's Greek is the best Greek we have in the whole New Testament. Um, he obviously grew up, you know, speaking Greek, writing Greek. Um, the first couple verses of Luke's gospel tells us that Luke's intended audience for both of his books, Luke and Acts, um, was, um, was someone called Theophilus. Theophilus. Now, this name means friend of God. And, and none of us are really sure, scholars aren't sure, nobody really knows, is this actually a man whose name was friend of God, Theophilus? Or was Luke writing to other Greeks like himself who were interested in God, interested in the Jewish slash Christian message, um, but, but, you know, needed to hear the gospel, needed to hear the, what, what Jesus was all about? We're, we're not really sure. Um, but ultimately, this message would go out into the Greek world to share the hope of Christ. Uh, far beyond the, the boundaries of, of Jewishness. Um, we know that Luke would have had access to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, uh, and maybe others. There may have been other Gospels. In fact, um, you know, Luke says here, many, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So there may have been other gospels that were written that we just that were lost to history, um, but it was the Holy Spirit's leading and will that these four would find their way into into our scriptures, right? Um, so, uh, so Luke would have had Matthew's and Mark's uh, gospels, but he says that he. He goes on, it says, just, just as they were handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certain certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke may have been the very first investigative journalist, right? He went and interviewed everyone he could find. He said, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And so Luke would have gone and spoken with, with he himself was not an eyewitness, but he went and spoke with all of these first eyewitnesses. He would have spoken with the apostles. He would have interviewed Mary and asked her, what, what was it like to bear the Son of God? What was it like to talk to the angel? 
right? He would have spoken, I'm sure, to especially being, being a physician, he would have spoken to many who had been healed by Jesus and asked them what that was like, right? And so, so Luke writes these things down. He says, I want to write an orderly account. Why does he say that? Because Matthew and Mark, you may notice if you compare the Gospels, they have things in different orders, right? It's okay. They're looking at it from different corners, different perspectives, right? And, and what Luke is saying here is that Matthew and Mark's intention never was to put things in an orderly account. They had, a, they had a point they were making and they pulled in stories of what Jesus did to support what they were communicating about Jesus. They weren't historians. They, they weren't looking to, to, to create this timeline. But Luke, Luke, maybe he was a little more OCD. I don't know. But Luke wanted everything in order. He wanted an orderly account. And so uh, Luke, as a, as a bit of a, a historian, right, writes the story of how Jesus came in an orderly way. So Luke, in Luke's story of Jesus' birth, we have a lot of detail about, first of all, the birth of his second cousin, John, right, who would become known as the baptizer, John the baptizer or John the Baptist. Um, <clears throat> we have details about the visits of the archangel, archangel Gabriel to both Zechariah, John's father, and to Mary. We have the actual nativity story itself, right? Um, Luke's version is probably the one that you're used to hearing every Christmas read, you know, in, in the yeah, you know, in the, yeah, the, the Charlie Brown version, right? Um, and, and so, <clears throat> Luke, Luke, what he does in his gospel, he masterfully contrasts the Emperor Augustus, the emperor of this world, and I don't know if you, if you don't know kind of the Roman, Roman Empire history, Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor, right? So kind of a big deal around the world, the known world, that, that Luke is writing about this emperor, Caesar Augustus. I mean, he's, he's the first emperor and, and the one that all other emperors would probably be compared to. Um, certainly all other emperors got their name from Caesar, Augustus, they were all called Caesars, right? Um, and so <clears throat> Luke masterfully contrasts the emperor of this world with the humble king of kings that is about to be born. The emperor makes a decree and everybody has to move, right? It says the emperor calls for a census and everyone had to go to their hometown to be registered for the census. The emperor makes a command and he moves the world. In contrast, this simple couple, Joseph and Mary, seem to be somewhat 
helplessly forced to relocate at the most inconvenient of times. Right? She's about to pop. It's about to give birth. Right? And, And they're forced to relocate. The Son of God's descent into humble human status as the Son of Man is complete in the story that Luke tells of his birth. No one can even make room for Mary in her pregnant state. The ultimate Son of David comes to the town of David and gets no special treatment. Right? He's just truly one of us. This baby is born in the same place that lambs and calves have been born. He's laid in a feeding trough for a crib. And contrary to the carol, definitely made some crying. It was not a peaceful time in the barn that night, I guarantee. But despite the humility of of his birth and these circumstances that he was born into, Luke wants us to know that this was no ordinary baby. There's angelic fanfare, an announcement by an angel of the event, and then a legion of angel warriors appear and fill the quiet hills of Bethlehem with shouts of praise to God. But in the continued strange unfolding of the story, look who they announce it to. Shepherds? Not the rich elite, not political leaders, not the religious leaders and teachers, but shepherds? People on just about the lowest rung of society that you can imagine. That means that when the angels said that this baby's birth would be good news for all the people, he really meant it. It was for everyone. That means you don't have to have some kind of special background or importance for the gospel to apply to you. That means Jesus is here for religious and non-religious. He's here for poor and wealthy He's here for powerful and those that the world judges insignificant. You, you are a candidate for the blessings of Christ no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done. In fact, Luke is the only gospel writer who shows Jesus announcing the start of his ministry at a synagogue by reading the passage that we read this morning from Isaiah It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. I mean, who thinks about prisoners? Out of sight, out of mind. But Jesus came to proclaim good news for prisoners, freedom for them, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke's gospel is also the only place where we get a glimpse of Jesus as a a child or a young 
a young adult, young man, between his birth and the beginning of his ministry. He's a very normal child that exasperates his very normal parents, right? When they lose him at a festival, Jesus has a mind of his own and, and throws a wrench in the family vacation. Again, Luke wants us to see the contrast of, of the normal child who at the same time is extraordinary and holds the teachers of the law spellbound as he unpacks the Old Testament scriptures. And so according to Luke, who is Jesus? Luke's genealogy in chapter 3 is different than Matthew's. I don't know if you've ever compared them. It's very different. First of all, some names are different. Actually, a lot of names are different in Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy. There's at least three legitimate theories as to why this is, but that's a bunny trail that we don't have time for this morning. Um, uh, Matthew's genealogy went back 42 generations to Abraham to establish that Jesus is the Jewish king. And his genealogy goes through the to, from Abraham to David and on to Christ, right? Do you remember that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So Matthew's, geneal Matthew's genealogy goes back 42 generations to Abraham. Luke's goes all the way back 74 generations to Adam. All the way back to Adam for two reasons, I think. First of all, Luke wants us to know that Jesus is truly human, right? Tracing it back to the first man to say Jesus is a son of Adam. The, the, the word in Hebrew for man is Adam, right? So when Jesus was saying he's the son of man, one of the meanings of that is he's the son of Adam, right? One of the meanings. So he takes us back to Adam to establish that Jesus is truly human. But also as a non-Jewish Greek follower of Jesus, Luke wants to highlight that Jesus came, what he came to do was not just for the Jewish nation, but it was for all humanity, right? Everyone who is descended of Adam has, has access to the gospel, has access to what Jesus did, right? Because Jesus is truly the Son of Man. The, uh, um, and, and so Son of Man is Luke's favorite phrase or title for Jesus. Calls him the Son of Man and, and, and has Jesus calling himself son of man uh, most of the time. And, uh, and one key verse that, we've, that, that jumps out of Luke's gospel 
for us is Luke 19, verse 10. I can't remember if I have it up here. I think I do. Yeah, Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God became the Son of Man for a purpose, on a mission, to seek those who would turn their hearts to Him for hope and healing. Right? And of all the Gospels, Luke shows the greatest number of Jesus' interactions with people. Luke shows us a Jesus who is a a people person, a person of the people who connects with so many people. He shows us many connections Jesus makes to the cast-offs of society. And he spends a lot of time describing Jesus' focus on women, for example, who in that culture were not, were not considered important enough to mention in most people's stories, right? But, but Luke focuses in again and again on Jesus' interactions with women. In, in Luke, we have Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and his interaction with Jesus, where Jesus, Jesus declares this, this man that many would consider a reprobate and a traitor. And he says, today salvation has come to this house, Right? We have the story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus makes the hero of a story the, someone from the Samaritan race that, that all of the Jews would have been disgusted by. But Jesus says no. He's the hero in this story. We have the healing of the ten lepers. And many other stories that are not in the other Gospels as Luke unfolds his story of this son of man. Luke being a physician, a doctor, documents the greatest number of healing miracles of any of the Gospels. Again, probably interviewing many of them as he tells their story. And he shows us that Jesus' kingdom's coming results in actual changes in our lives. Where the, where the rubber meets the road. When someone who couldn't walk suddenly can, their life is changed. When someone who has a disease that means they can never see their friends or family again is healed, their life is transformed. Just this week, in conversation with someone who was talking about the changes that had happened since they'd become a follower of Jesus, they said their marriage was different, and their parenting was different, and their interests were different. It wasn't just a religious change, but it changed everything about who they are. That's what Jesus does. He changes us from the inside out and it affects everything. It affects things in the grit and the mess of everyday life where we live. 
Jesus is the Son of Man. And according to the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called synoptic because they synoptic, they, they look the same. They, they have similar, you know, style in some ways from John. According to the three synoptic gospels, um, son of man is Jesus' favorite term for himself. It identifies him as a human, for one thing, as we've said, um, <clears throat> But also, it is, it is certain that as Luke writes his gospel, calling Jesus again and again, Son of Man, he certainly also had in mind Daniel chapter 7. I want us to read a few verses out of Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision that is really important in the big picture of the coming Messiah. He writes and says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's the Father, God the Father. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white as like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And he goes on a few couple verses later to say, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. And so as Luke writes about the Son of Man, certainly, here's that tension again. He's the Son of Man because he's, he's, he's a man, just like us, but he's also the Son of Man. Right? And we have this picture of, of Christ coming, riding the clouds. That was a very common picture in ancient Near East literature of of the gods, right? As, as Daniel is describing this, he's saying this son of man is God, right? Riding on the clouds, coming, and being given by the Father a kingdom and a throne that will never end. So this one is God and yet is man. Jesus is the one who is God and yet man. He is the divine Son of God who stoops, who stoops to help the lowly and who comes to seek and save the lost. So another question we've asked 
of each of these Gospels, according to Luke, why, why has he come? To save us, yes, to save us. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's worth reading again. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It was a choice to be born to a poor family. God chose Mary. It was a choice to be born in a barn and laid in a feeding trough. The circumstances of his birth in poverty, it was a choice. It was a choice to announce to shepherds and not to kings. God bent low to lift us up. We see in Christ the great exchange. The great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. All of our righteousness, Isaiah says, all of our best efforts to be as good as we can be, all of our attempts to follow the rules and do the stuff, to climb and crawl our way up to God, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. Because it's all birthed in sinful, selfish effort. But in Christ, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He takes our filthy rags on him and places his robe of righteousness on us. He bent low to lift us up. And this great exchange, this rags for riches, is the gospel. It's the hope of Christ. We get to trade in our rags for his righteousness. And so I want to ask you this morning, what weakness, what sin what poverty do you need to trade this morning for his strength, for his righteousness and goodness, and for his wealth and blessing?
What do you need to trade this morning? First of all, Jesus became poor that we might become rich. And we're not talking about money here, folks. This is not a, this is not a name it, claim it gospel. But we're talking about spiritual riches that come when we surrender our lives to him. He came to seek and to save the lost. It's Luke that tells us the three stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Jesus came for those whose path had taken them far from God's best. But I say to you this morning that no one is beyond the reach of God's love and grace. And the only qualifications for God's saving grace is to be one who's lost and knows it and reaches out to Him. Really, that's all of us, isn't it? Because as Isaiah says, we all like sheep gone astray, each to his own way, right? Jesus came for the expansion of his kingdom through his church to the ends of the earth. Jesus' death and resurrection was just the beginning of establishing God's kingdom on earth. Luke's is the only gospel that describes the ascension of Jesus into heaven and then repeats it in his sequel, the book of Acts, right? And, and then in Acts, he goes on to describe the outpouring of the Spirit in power on the church to carry on the expansion of God's kingdom to every corner of the earth. Isn't it interesting how Luke's, Luke's book, Acts, as he tells the story of the, of the early church, and he gets to the end of chapter 28, and he just it's like he just hits a wall and stops, right? It's like he just halfway through a sentence just stopped writing. The end of his, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Or they, you know, and they, and they continued, you know, the gospel continued to spread to the ends of the earth. And, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. It just stops in the middle of the action. Why? Because you and I are the 29th chapter of Acts, aren't we? Right? We're meant to carry on the expanding of God's kingdom around the world. That is exciting. Because we don't do it in our strength, we do it in His power. I'm going to get you to stand this morning. And just land on a couple takeaways as we finish up. And I need to wet my whistle. Okay. So, some takeaways. Jesus is the Son of Man. God who became one of us to save us. 
The good news is that God was born in humility so that we could be saved and made part of his heavenly family. We can trade in our rags for his riches this morning. I want to encourage you before you leave here today, maybe there's something you need to take off your shoulders and throw on him. Right? Encourage you to, to be, uh, to, you know, to not rush out of here. We're, we're in good time. I'm going to invite, uh, I, I think a lot of them are away, but uh, any of our, our ministry team that are here, I'm going to invite you to come up. And if you want prayer this morning, um, Pastor Pam and I have to, have to hit the door to, to catch you before you leave with some stuff. But, uh, but our ministry team will make themselves available. And if you need prayer, if you, if you want to trade something in this morning and receive God's blessing, I encourage you to, to come and, and just do that, a physical act. Don't just, don't just say, oh yeah, I should do that. But, but come as a physical act and say, God, I just want to throw my junk on you and receive your blessing today. And then lastly, we are a part of the gospel story. Let's not just tell the good news, celebrate the good news, but let's be the good news. Little little commercial for, you know, those, those little bottles of stuff out in the lobby. Grab some this morning and, and take it to someone. Be the good news to someone. Be a blessing. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you that Jesus is the Son of Man. Thank you that he came to be one of us. Just like us in every way but sin. Simplicity weakness and frailty. Thank you that he bore our sin to the cross. That he truly did come to save us. And that because of him, we can know the righteousness of Christ in our lives. We can be the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have. Good news of great joy for all people. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Going to lead us in Alleluia. So as you go this morning, just give uh, Pastor Andrew and I a moment to get to the back door there, please. Um, yes, see, Edna, if you're able to deliver some of those, some of the joy drop 
jars and, and uh, find a way to be joy and spread Christmas cheer. Merry Christmas to you and to yours. We'll see you Saturday night at our Christmas Eve service.